This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi, everyone. Welcome to A Fresh Agenda. Thanks for being here. However you found this podcast, I'm grateful you're here because it's my goal with A Fresh Agenda to improve your mood, your life, your skills, give you some information to help you be more creative and more productive. And through the distractions of life, get at your deepest work. Innovators, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, that is my jam. So before we get to our guest, I want to tell you about some innovators I recently met. They've come aboard as a new sponsor and we're so happy to have them, New Age Aerial. It's more than a bird's eye view. New Age Aerial brings you beautiful vistas, breathtaking overviews, and an understanding of how things look from above. From movies to commercial photography and video, the drone team at New Age Aerial can get you the shots you need for a fraction of the cost of hiring a pilot and plane. These guys are experienced flyers. Government agencies trust them during big crises. They can even set up a drone with guided monitoring from an engineer on the ground to get exactly the photos and video needed. But they are also artists in the sky, getting those unforgettable and scenic shots that open movies and thrill at the beginning of large business presentations. We are so proud to have them as a sponsor because they are innovators in drone technology and use. New Age Aerial, check them out online at newageaerial.com. Enter the promo code FRESHAGENDA to let them know you heard about them here. All right, today's podcast is going to be very interesting if you have had or will have a job. Janice Bryant Howroyd, first African-American woman to run a billion-dollar company. Now, when you think of powerful and wealthy African-American women, of course, Oprah comes to mind. But before Oprah had even earned her first million, JBH, as she's called, was already running a billion-dollar business. Founder and CEO of the Act One Group, she is also a speaker and thought leader on everything work and employment related. Janice Bryant Howroyd grew up in a segregated area of North Carolina. She moved to California after college, and when she couldn't find work, she made work. She started a business. She started out with a single desk, one phone, and $1,500, which included a $900 loan from her mother. This was 1978. She has grown Act One into multiple companies in 19 countries, provides staffing, HR, and consulting, but she also has so much wisdom on work, on pivoting your skills to other industries, staying creative. And like I did when we talked, you are going to hear a light in her voice that will instantly improve your mood. Let's talk to JBH. And Janice, you launched your business in 1978. The opportunity for women, minority women, entrepreneurs, it was daunting at that time. What convinced you this was going to work? Well, you know, you mentioned it was daunting, Christina, and it also was a very good time for business in general. So that even speaks more to a lot of the discrepancies and opportunities. But here's the thing. I needed to start my business. I just didn't want, I didn't just want to start it. So I guess um, mother need feeds mother nature. Uh, in any event, it's been a really good opportunity for me to observe several economies over the course of growing my business and the opportunity to, wherever possible, make those changes through my own effort to things that didn't exist well for me have been tremendous. You know, Christina, when I look at the number of women in businesses today, and we know that African-American women are one of the fastest growing populations of women of business ownership, but women in general across the globe tend 
tend to be very quick on the repayment of loans. We're dispelling a lot of myths about women wherever we exist. And I love the work you're doing because you're giving voice to this. I love it, too. Thank you so much. I am so, again, just thrilled to have you here on the podcast today and and on the radio. Uh, You had kind of a a harsh upbringing in segregated North Carolina and the room in hardship that a parent has to clear out for their child to give your children the gift of seeing beyond those circumstances. How did your parents do that for you? Let me just be very clear. My upbringing wasn't harsh. It was the environment that was harsh. And therein is the answer to your question. Our parents were phenomenal people. We were 11 siblings being brought up in a segregated Southern community that in Eastern North Carolina meant an economically deprived community as well. And we had parents who were so diligent to their effort and their expectation for us that I was in university before I realized we were poor. I was cognizant that we needed things and that we kept things that we, um, we, we, I mean, we were into recycling before recycling was a word, <laughs> but, but we had parents who really taught us that that was more about value than need. And so the principles that I grew up with in my home are very often the principles that are the foundation for how I design disciplines and programs that service companies across the globe today. Our parents, simply put, were phenomenal people who made sure that we had the nurturing, the education, and the expectation for ourselves that allowed us to overcome what for many were obstacles. For us, they were bumps in the road. Some of them were pretty bumpy. Don't let me uh, like soft serve this, but they really gave us what we needed. And today, my mom is still alive, and she continues to offer that to us. So, yeah, when you talk about that generational impact that we have as parents and as communities, I think it really is important to so many of us, whether we're talking about people who's, uh, who for generations have had uh, disparities in this country, or whether we're talking about new citizens and new, new uh, entrants to this country, there are opportunities and there are obstacles along that way. But when we put our when we put our feet behind the right mentality, I think we get there. And I think that that's something that we all continue to work for. And it's a good thing for the country and the world that we do. Well, I, I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day and that your mother had a wonderful Mother's Day um, this past Sunday. Uh, you were successful when you had your own children. So let's take it from the other side. How do you instill a sense of gratitude in children? Uh, because it's a conscious act to be grateful when you've always had what you've always had. Oh, you know, Christina, every day is Mother's Day. You don't, you don't get off with one day of the year. Um, and, 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 and when you've got phenomenal women in, uh, in your lives, like my mom, that makes it very easy to do so. So thank you for acknowledging that. In terms of my own parenthood, um, I learned so much about how to raise children. I mentioned to you that although uh, by U.S. economic standards, we were poor. I didn't know it until I went to university, candidly speaking. And I think that it is because we had an awareness of the difference between wealth and rich, and we understood the difference between being wealth, being rich, and being enriched. And 
while I can think back on that and put voice to it, there was still the energy to it before I even was able to label it as such. So when you talk about with my children, my husband and my children, the truth is we are very integrated family on all levels, ethnically, uh, spiritually, you know, and um, from, 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 um, from nationality. We're just a very integrated family. Our kids get to experience different economies through visits we've made with them as well as the as well as with our own family members. Some of the people who sit at my dinner table are light industrial workers, and they have the same voice as we do as a family to everything we discuss. So our children are not brought up in some little crystal palace where they don't understand the reality of life. They are very, very aware. We've also engaged them throughout their lives in um, the organizations that I care about. And these organizations typically are referred to as give back organizations, but I look at them as giving forward organizations. And I think the last thing about that is that when you refer to how I was brought up and the difference in that and how my children were brought up, there's only one difference and that's money. My children are being brought up the same way that I was brought up and in the same family and the same bosom of support and energy and care and the same sense of responsibility and citizenship that I was brought up in. They're in a where my children have been raised. And so, um, there's really no difference in how my parents raised me and the values we set on things, the opportunity to gain things versus have things given to us are, are very, very much uh, the same. Fantastic. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about business. You connect great companies with great talent. What makes for great talent these days? Oh, talent is one of my favorite discussions. Thank you for getting to where I thrive. And I have to tell you, you know, great talent is part of a part partnership of employment. Um, someone great in one company may not be great in another company. I think it's more of a formula than, uh, than, than one state asset. We work with total talent communities. And what that means is we're looking at wherever people are working and how they're working and how that populates well for a company. You know, the Act One Group does uh, business across the globe, and many of our clients are in uh, very different industries. And today you can look at talent from one industry and find them highly transferable into another industry. By the way, we speak of talent as, you know, as, as an inanimate object, but it's really people we're talking about in most businesses. Now, there is that element in a total talent community of having artificial intelligence be part of a talent community. But with respect to people, people have highly transferable skills and Five years ago, some industries or some companies specifically would not think of looking for talent from a different industry. They poached on each other, if you will. Now, talent transfers across industries as, as easily as it did across departments and companies years ago. Back when Deming was teaching uh, companies to move people every three years and, you know, enhance their ability to add value to the company and realize full careers for themselves, especially at the executive level, well, that's a that's that, that, that's a very much broader uh, perspective now where companies are transferring talent across industries. And quite candidly speaking, I think it's a very good thing for the uh, worker, regardless of the level of that worker, because it really does give, um, give people an opportunity to explore their own creativity within what historically have not been looked at as creative jobs or creative roles for them. The other thing that's really good about it, Christina, I think, is that... Um, 
you know, so many uh, workers today have their own brand and they match their brand and their culture need to the company versus the company matching their brand and culture need to the employee simply. And I think that uh, allows for some very innovative, uh, uh, very positively disruptive thinking in how companies can continue to grow. If at minimum it does no more than allows companies to be closer to their to their uh, consumers, to their clients, then it's still a very good thing. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And and it really hits upon what I have seen happening to so many of uh, my friends and colleagues in the broadcast industry, which is in such a disruption right now. Those skills are transferable. And a lot of people who have been doing something for a long time, one thing, all of a sudden their industry is disrupted and they don't understand that they do have transferable skills. And I'll tell you something specifically to your industry. I pray some of your colleagues are listening because it's not just the skills that they've engaged and succeeded with over the years that will be important as they transfer careers, whether that's going to be gigging or entrepreneurial opportunities or moving across industries into completely different uh, environments. It's also about the people they've engaged them with. Let me tell you what I mean. If someone's been an expert in talking with people or, or journalistically approaching certain subjects and they've learned from that process, that also becomes an inherent part of what they bring into another company. So while historically they may have been looked at for their journalistic skills, they've developed some knowledge base as well by being journalistically engaged in a subject matter. So it all feeds very well to itself and well articulated and thoughtfully placed brings value you to any employer does that ring true for you absolutely it does ring true for myself and a lot of the a lot of my colleagues i want to ask you about generationally i mean you have had a chance now since being in business since 1978 to see several generations come into the workforce is there a difference in the professional professional cultural habits of millennials versus gen xers versus baby there are boomers? definitely differences in the culture but people remain the same we've not invented new people and thank you very much for for referring to my experience as across years or economies because you know I happen to be one of the most magnificently mature millennials you're ever going to meet right and so I can tell (laughs) so I can tell you that that first generational culture isn't so much about age as it is about the embrace. However, there are differences in how culture culture was uh, uh, responded to or even crafted uh, when I first started my company as it is now. And some of those differences are good. Some of them, you know, uh, depending on the company, may or may not feel right. Examples of that will be easily understood when I talk about companies that um, enjoyed bringing people into their organization who had an understanding about how they wanted to be seen and fit a very narrow structure. Let me give you an example of cultural differences and cultural disruption. When when I first started my company, if we told someone they needed to dress as if they were interviewing at IBM, they would show up in a navy or black suit with a white shirt or black. Uh, and if they were women, typically they wore something back then called pantyhose, which you don't hear a lot about now, okay? Um, and if you were a man, you, you know, you followed suit, literally. Uh, today, that is not the case. 
You know, many companies are very happy not only for people to show up in cultural wear that is different than a company brand, unless, of course, you're in an, in an, in, in an industry where that really is going to help, you know, delineate who you are while you're there, okay? But even airlines are, are making differences there sometimes. Um, the thing is, though, that now work isn't always being done within proximity of a desk. Sometimes people are sitting on the ocean side with an iPad and they're doing work across the globe. Um, so, you know, technology has been a big influencer on how we look at the cultural change and how work occurs. And there are many people, and as a journalist, you probably are aware of this uh, firsthand, there are many people who conduct their work in professional gear from neck to waist, and there may be anything from Birkenstocks to bare feet underneath that desk. That applies itself across industries really well. I think the differences only start to exist in a hard way. If we're talking about small uh, or boutique offerings where a presence or you know the way you present yourself does need a culture fit to it because it enables the fluid movement of people or ideas better in an organization, or if it ends up being a situation where um, people are able to appreciate the safety risks involved. But beyond that, how people attire themselves verbally, physically, I mean, you know, companies are, are, are being invented from day one. They're invented as global companies. So there's so many cultural aspects to how work is, is performed today that is it any wonder that the culture of the workforce and the work environment is changing? It is amazing. I tell both of my daughters, your job may not have been invented yet. <laughs> I mean, and they're both, you know, on how um, old your daughters are, their job likely has not uh, been invented yet. And here's the thing I'm finding about many of the uh, 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 fresher workers to uh, to to the workforce. They come ready with their own websites. Now, I don't know how long you've been at your craft, but I can tell you we didn't have a website when I started mine. And as websites began to be invented and become more, you know, prevalent in how we um, how we exchange commercially, uh, websites were something that companies had. Now, over 60% of the people who walk into our offices looking for clerical work, administrative work, and on up the line to executive work have their own websites. They have their own brands, and they believe those brands bring value and they are constantly iterating them well absolutely i yeah i've been doing this 30 years and no you came with a resume and and a, and a reel when uh, we first started but you're right it's, it's the brand and trying to find a company that matches uh, your values with their culture can sometimes you know it can be challenging i know that's the business that you're in so let's look at it from the company side um is there a this is not a great way to say it, but a breakdown in loyalty both ways because more employees are willing to job hop and a lot of companies are offering fewer incentives for an employee to stay for a long time. Do you find that to be true? I think that, I mean, anything can be true depending on the population you survey. But here's what I found on the broader side of it. And maybe we're just blessed to have great clients. I don't know. Uh, but I will tell you this. I, I, I know that we are very deliberate about who we work with. In the early years, I would say I'm not going to do business with a company where I wouldn't like to send some of my own employees. And we've already established, I mean, some of my own family members. And we've already established that my family members 
you know, go from light industrial to highest level professional to entrepreneur. Uh, but here's the thing about, about loyalty. I think it's not so much as a, of a breakdown of loyalty as it is whose lens are you looking through. Many of our clients really see the value in their employees being fulfilled and, and expressing themselves differently and working more in pods and teams than they are as individual employees who have to express a loyalty through till they get that watch, you know, that gold watch at uh, at retirement. And a lot of companies, when I, uh, uh, um, let's say even as, as, as recent as 10 years ago, would look at uh, job hopping as a bad thing. Now they look at it as someone having new and fresh you know, creativity that they can bring into the organization, so long as all the elements within there point toward progression, contribution to the client, and, you know, positive outcomes. And so I think that it works a little both ways. It's kind of like mentoring, you know, both parties have to benefit from it. And I believe that employment today is a very different thing than it was 10 years ago and in, is in the process of even more iteration. Life is evergreen. You know, when you're green, you grow, when you're white, you rock. And I think that our institutions, our protocols, and our uh, inter interpersonal Personal disciplines are all iterative to the to to the environment we live and work within, and so I celebrate the changes that I see. Poor business practices, poor business practice, and we don't need to look at today to find that companies may or may not offer good uh, good compensation or good benefits to employees. We had that same issue years ago. As a matter of fact, that was one of the uh, predominant issues that workers faced uh, early on in the industrial age of this country. So those questions are going to give rise wherever we find people working with people. I think it's how we embrace and how we train and educate our communities that they are then able not only to respond to change, but to be a positive part of helping to create that change. And that's why I'm so excited about many of the people I see who are coming into the workforce today. I'm not one of those people to talk with if you're looking for me to point fingers at younger uh, workers or people who are bringing new and creative thought to how we create work, how we how we create outcomes, because I'm one of them. I really celebrate the opportunity to continue to learn and to have various experiences that all end up being a contribution to a company's platform. Most of the companies you're talking about, may, many of them, I should say, may even be pu publicly held companies who do have a fiduciary responsibility to their stockholders. And so they're looking for best ways to create outcomes. But the exciting thing I'm learning is that many of the workers who are coming on the scene today and many of those who've been on the scene and rethinking how they will continue to work today, because many people working today have planned to be retired yesterday. All of this workforce energy is looking at work in a different way, and they're helping to evolve the environment and the communities they work within. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, some of the the co-workers in the past that I've worked with that taught me the most were millennials. I mean, it's such a collaborative generation and and they come with skills that uh, that were were perfectly tradable with the skills I had to trade with them. So I, I agree with you. I think every generation comes in with something to offer, something good to offer. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what... And it's so exciting. It is exciting. It's exciting, yes. <laughs> 
with, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about culture because it's been so much in the news lately with all of the news of sexual harassment or discrimination or retaliation. Do you think company cultures, because we're seeing more of this in the news, it's coming out more. So it's being brought out in the open and dealt with. Or do you think that uh, it's always been there and, and we're just now hearing about it more? What more work do we have to do to make sure that our workplaces are, are culturally appropriate for everyone? Let's first understand, at least from my perspective, that there is not anything new in the sun, under the sun. It's just new to you. Okay, so the first time you come on it doesn't mean it just got invented. Okay, Um, here's the thing, though. I do believe that as companies are integrated and the lines are blurred between where a company's door begins and where where it opens and where it shuts, uh, that's being redefined. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. We all understand that, you know, several years ago, the concept of workers or customers wanting to do business with companies they really respected uh, who had an investment in the communities and the way they thought that they wanted their money spent. If I buy a pair of shoes from you, you're going to, you know, give a pair to a kid somewhere who, you know, is unshod. Um, Many companies approach uh, their communities in that way, where there's an investment back into the community. And so when we're talking about how we uncover harassment or any type of, uh, of inequity, we're talking about more than just culture. First of all, we're talking about what's legal what may be regulated or what may be illegal. And so we have to really appreciate where that comes from. And a lot of what's illegal today with respect to women and men and how we behave with each other is uh, born on the backs of many people, whether you're looking at um, the backs of men and women who fought for civil rights or think Mrs. Pankhurst and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the work they did, you know, for women's right to vote. And then when women got the right to vote. We voted legislatively around things that we thought mattered. Everything is iterative as we live through this experience, and history is happening so much faster right now, Christina, and the advantage of technology gives us transparency into occurrences that used to take years for us to find out about, even if we chose to believe it when told. And so today, with one cell phone, I can evidence for you something that you may never have seen. And so all of these opportunities, because they are opportunities, are blurring together in a way that history is happening quicker in how we can communicate, but our disciplinary skills and and how we change protocols and policies and processes often follow the advantage of information. And so I think that we are finding out about stuff very often now, quicker than we have the capacity or sometimes it's the will or want to deal with it in the best collective constructive manner. And that's what we're seeing happening. And I, for one, celebrate it. I think that you can't heal it if you can't see it, if you can't recognize it for what it is. So if there are ills being communicated, and I do believe this isn't new stuff. There have always been people in the equation uh, and people behave in a certain way. I think that the regulations, I think that the protocols, and I think that the clarity of understanding of intention and outcome 
all help us to be better citizens, whether that's corporate citizens or whether that is a world citizen. We all are learning how to live together in a different structure, and we're all learning, hopefully, prayerfully, that our outcomes are best when we can all win. We don't have to have a winner and a loser in our quest to have thoughtful, uh, intelligent work environments where people can express themselves in very authentic ways, bring their best selves to work, and create win-wins. I, I, I truly believe that. Call me Pollyanna, but I believe that. Uh, this last section of the interview, I just want to talk to you about what inspires you. How do you stay creative and recharge your batteries? You've got a big business to run, and you're doing the thought leader thing, too, and you've got books, and you've got recordings and video. And, I mean, I mean, how do you stay creative? You know, one of the things that I think is really important for me is that I live in gratitude. And gratitude teaches us responsibility. Gratitude is not stagnant. To say that you are grateful and to sit still and simply contemplate may be a momentary value, but it is not a life principle. And so for me, I think that because I appreciate so much Let's think about it. I grew up, and I've said this publicly before, Christina, you likely have heard me say it. I grew up a nappy-headed little colored girl in Tarboro, North Carolina, pre-civil rights, one of 11 children in a low-income community with a mother and father who believed the world was our oyster. So I was prone for success. Many people look at me and they think, wow, that was a recipe for failure. That was a recipe for success because mom and dad taught us to be very grateful for what we had. As a matter of fact, we were so disciplined in the art of gratitude that by the time I went to university, as I mentioned to you earlier in this interview, that I, I really felt that we were quite well off. And in many ways we were. Here's the thing. For me, I enjoy learning. One of the people I most admire in the world beyond my own immediate blood family uh, is my husband. And he wakes up every day excited to learn. And, and he's 84 years old. And he's as interested and invested in life as he ever was when I met him. And so when I look around me or just look next to me when I get the chance to wake up at home because I'm on the road a lot, you know, there's also the people who are around me. I am I am really in the midst. I am centered within people who are excited and growing and learning. My clients keep me challenged. You know, the spirit of competition. And um, let's be honest, I've given myself permission to be smart and woman and black. So I'm going to take advantage of that because it's a new newfound uh, uh, gift I've given myself. All of that added up together really does mean that, well, I guess if you go online and you look at my uh, uh, Strangest Secret videos on YouTube, you'll see that de my definition of success is really success is the word of realization, the, uh, the realization of a worthy ideal. And so for me, that's what I'm doing. And, and all of that just keeps propelling itself forward when you're centered in gratitude. Why would I not be grateful for the opportunities that I've gained even with the challenges I've encountered, when I can see so clearly the outcomes that I've been able to create and even clearer what's yet to come. I, I did go on and I watched The Strangest Secret and, and I uh, the, the po part that spoke to me 
as an entrepreneur myself, and I do this podcast for a lot of other entrepreneurs as well, is, you know, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you can be tired. There's a lot to do in a day, mm. but keeping both mm. hands on the wheel, that really spoke to yeah. me. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm so glad you watched it and that it did say that to you because that's the big message. That is so the big message, you know, and there are so many things that we have yet to achieve in the world. There's so many things that I have yet to achieve in my own world. The understanding that the progressive realization of a worthy ideal is how you define success. You know, success doesn't simply have to be a noun. It can be a verb if you choose it to be. That's what matters to me. You know, redefine those things for yourself. Be respectful to others in the process and be very clear and honest about where you are and where you're going. Those things matter today as much as they ever have in history. For me, the bottom line is, never compromising who you are personally to become who you wish to be professionally. If you can live true to this, then I truly believe that you can enjoy the process even as you're awaiting the outcome. And that is wisdom from JBH, Janice Bryant Howroyd. Just an amazing guest, a fantastic woman, such an inspiration. You can find out more about her and see her book, The Art of Work, at askjbh.com. That's where you can find out more about her. And this is the time when I ask you, if you like this podcast or anything else you've heard on A Fresh Agenda, please do like and share and tell your friends about it. Uh, you can find it at SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and also on my website, ChristinaMendonca.com. That's Christina with no H, ChristinaMendonca.com. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next time, or you'll hear me next time. Let's stay connected. This is A Fresh Agenda. Bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.